2: 51,000 plus
1: on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch, here it is. One fly ball deep left center, him on the road. Yes! 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 The yeah. given you a championship. 25 lighters on my dresser, yes sir. You know I've got to get paid. Right center and the brains have won. The twenty five lighters on my dress, sir. Yes, sir. You know, our cups get big. Swing and drive. Don't be right. Welcome to the sun. twenty five
2: lighters on my twenty five folks. Now get ready. This is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Platinum Sombrero, brought to you by Armchair Media and our good friends at MyBookie. MyBookie.ag, the number one sports betting website in the land. If you're a person that likes to put a little money on games to kind of show off how you know or make the games a little more interesting, MyBookie has you covered. They've got all the best prop bets, they've got everything you could ever want, even for the most degenerative gamblers. If you want to bet on the XFL, MyBookie has that. That should let you know how deep they go. But if you're a guy that likes to throw a little money on the Braves and you want to bet that Ronald Acuna does go 40-40 this season, you've got a line for that on my bookie. They've got the most prop bets in the gambling world. Their customer service is second to none. I mean, the best in the business. There are no such things as dumb questions. They help you out with whatever you need. And if you're a beginner, they've got lines like that that are easy to follow. If you've got any questions, they can help you out and make sure your experience is the best experience. Best of all, if you go to mybookie.ag, you sign up, you use our promo code armchair, spelled like it sounds, armchair, they're going to give you a 100% deposit match up to $1,000 on that initial deposit. So when you sign up, just put in our promo code, they're going to match whatever you put in up to $1,000, and you're going to have a chance to double, triple your money and play a little bit longer. It's just a nice little thing to, uh, to reward you for using our promo code. Make sure you go to mybookie.ag today. All right, so... I wasn't sure we were going to have a ton of stuff to talk about today, Doc, but turns out that we we've got a nice little show here, and I do have something that I'm going to surprise you with. I've got a little rule change towards Major League Baseball. Uh, I'm going to give I'm going to let you decide where we put this. Do you want it at the beginning? Do you want it at the end?
0: Hmm. Let's do it at the end. It'll be uh it'll be a nice little segue into our uh, second segment with our guest.
2: Okay, Well, we'll just do it as a quick tease. I'm going to throw it as a tease right now. Coming up in about thirty. Mi- Coming out in about 25-30 minutes, the one change Major League Baseball should be making.
0: Alright, I'm putting it on the show sheet we can't forget, but you know as good as I do that we're going to run to 45 minutes and forget that it's on here.
2: <laughs> I promise we're not going to do that this time. So in light of that, there are some, some movement news that we can talk about. Uh, early this week, it might have been late last week, but Alex Anthopoulos gets named President of Baseball Operations. Still reports directly to Terry McGurk, which means it's really more of just a title raise comes with a salary, uh, salary increase, but he also gets extended through 2024, which is good news for Braves fans as Alex has quickly made a name for himself as one of the top GMs in major league baseball. When you look at the team, he took over for the mess he had to inherit from the whole Coppola, nonsense. Uh, Now that we're going to start to see Alex get some years with actual international money under his belt, this is something that we haven't seen Alex do very much, not even from his time with the Dodgers or with his time with the Blue Jays, quite frankly. We've never really seen Alex deal in the the international free agency market. Uh, How excited are you, Doc? I'm very excited to see how he handles this. I mean, I've got a rough outline. The Braves do get off their sanctions in just enough time to throw a whole bunch of money at Brian Acuna, Acuna's uh, youngest brother. But uh, I'm excited to see... Knowing Alex, how hands-on he is with everything else and, and how fastidious he is with all of this, I'm excited to see what he's able to do in the international market.
0: You know, I am too. I, I really like the fact that this is not just going to be a temporary thing. I think that when he first came on, he he inherited a mess, and he's done a lot to sort it out and really kind of repair the image of the, uh, of the team. And so he's getting rewarded for that. And as it pertains to the international stuff, you know, this organization has been able to kind of bridge the gap to to where it needs to be right now it's been uh, it's been rough you know when you start looking at the the lower levels of the miners I, I think it's really been uh, influencing the way that they have drafted for the past couple of years this past year especially taking a lot of the high upside guys in the later rounds and helping to kind of just extend a little bit more and now the sanctions are like you said they're going to start to be lifted a little bit so they're going to have a little bit of money to play with and you know hopefully they can sign Brian Acuna that is a baseball family there it's it's not just Ronald and Brian and Luis Angel but it's also they're related to uh Alcides Escobar as well say whatever you want about Alcides Escobar he's still a pro and anybody who made it pro they're good
2: so by the way it's not just Alcides there's a Kelvin Escobar as well there's a Kelvin there if you're in Venezuela like the Acuna family and their related families—they're—they're they're sports royalty. There are so many baseball players that come out of that family. Uh, and if you look at them, if you—if you want to—if you want to look at something awesome, if you're a Braves fan, go put up some side by side video of Brian Acuna and Ronald Acuna, and even Luis on Hell. Uh, they all have that same type of swing—that objectively long swing, we'll say—that uh, seems to have worked out so well for for Ronald, Brian Acuna, also an outfielder, Luis on an infielder. Uh, Just a very, very talented family. But it wasn't just Alex Anthopoulos that got extended. It was Brian Snicker as well as he gets a one-year addition. So essentially, he's managing through 2021. Takes away any chance of him having to, quote-unquote, manage for his job. Um, Some sports radio personalities in Atlanta being angry that the Braves are apparently, quote-unquote, commitophobes because they only gave Snicker a one-year extension. Uh, I'm perfectly fine with the one-year extension. I mean, there's still... I still think that Alex has some questions about Snicker as far as long-term coach, but he likes what Snicker brings right now. The team likes what he brings right now. Um, There's no need to give him a three- or a four-year extension. It's not like anybody else is going to come in and beat your offer for Snicker. It's not like he's going anywhere. He's been in the Braves organization for like 40 years. It's not like he's going anywhere. He's getting older. You don't even know if he wants a four-year extension.
0: That's a good point. I mean, Snicker is 64 years old, and... You know, it he if it was up to him, he'd manage till he's till he's in his eighties. Or at least that's kind of where he's at now. Who knows? I mean, maybe you know, if Snitcher wanted a long-term extension and he went to Anthopolis, I think he would I think the team would be slightly amenable to it. But I kinda get the feeling that maybe he likes the idea of just being able to kinda or at least up until now, being able to say, Let's let's do this year and then, then we'll see after that. Because I mean you always you, know, you see the pictures that are the uh, videos that get posted of like his grandkids seeing him on TV and, and you know, you see the grandkids come out of the park and he's just like super proud grandpa and everything. So um, it's good job security. It's good for him that he's not just going to wait out the one year and then hopefully get, get the other extension. But I also like the fact that it was also Kevin Seitzer and Rick Kranitz and Marty Reed and Jose Castro, Ron Washington, all of the coaches, uh, Eric Young senior, like all of the guys are coming back. The band is staying together. And after after the last game, we all remember Game Five of the NLDS. It would be really easy to just go into Salt the Earth mode and say, Okay, well, we've got to do something here. We've got to make a big shakeup. You know, we need to fire somebody to send a message or something like that. But one of the best things about Anthopolis's tenure has been the calmness, the rationality, the uh I always use the term measured. He's very methodical about the way that he likes to do things. And to look at that one inning, to look at that one game and have that be the thing that everybody's going to remember, it's a shame because last year was a really, really good year. And this was a really, really good team that just wound up being eliminated in a a horrible way. So this isn't overly reactionary and this is really like, I'm glad that they're seeing the
2: forest for the trees as it were. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think teams, it kind of behooves teams when they keep some continuity in place with the coaches, even if they're not, say, the best. Like Doc, you know I'm not the biggest Kevin Seitzer fan, but he has worked for a lot of the Braves hitters. A lot of Braves hitters do like him. I'm not the biggest Seitzer guy, but at least it looks like he's trying to adjust his style for the some of the new information that comes out. For hitting coaches, that's not always easy. Look no further than what we talked about last week with Colin Hessler from Driveline. A lot of these guys get kind of Stuck in the tradition of it uh, I, I'm i a fan of Rick Cranitz I know a lot of people had some bad things to say about Cranny I thought he did a phenomenal job last year Especially uh, when you look at Julio Tehran's numbers When you look at how the bullpen solidified itself As the season went on I know how it ended But he was dealing with guys that shouldn't have been on a major league roster As he got to settle in a little bit As everybody got to settle into his teachings The pitching really did start to pick up uh, I, I'm I'm very happy with that I think uh, I think overall Spring training had been very quiet, aside from Cole Hamill's shoulder and some videos of Bryce Ball absolutely crushing and punishing baseballs, but we woke up today on Wednesday to uh, some kind of different news, as it looks like uh, Kelsey Wingert is, I don't want to say not brought back, because essentially she was fired. Um, She got extended, I want to say she got extended in December, where she was supposed to go through the end of the season. Now, Kelsey's been doing a ton of sideline reporting for a whole different sports, ACC Network doing college football, uh, hockey, I believe basketball as well. So she's been a busy girl. Um, looks like she's no longer with the Braves. And this is something before people freak out about like Fox Sports South or freak out about Liberty Media. This is something that does come from the Braves. If you if you have a subscription to the Athletic, uh, DOB for the first time in what seems like 20 years actually broke a story. And uh, this is what he had. He He's reporting that... Uh, I don't want to give the entire thing of the story away, but apparently there was some friction between some some influ- influential members uh, up high up towards the top of the Braves infrastructure. Uh, and Kelsey's going to move on. It's not like she's going to be out of work long. I think uh, I think Kelsey does a great job of what she does. I think the thing to notice, though, or the thing to note, I think uh, a lot of the backlash coming through is because people genuinely liked Kelsey. She's a very positive person, and she brings a different sideline reporter. A lot of people have been asking. Uh, Doc, does this kind of remind you of the Aaron Andrews stint as a Braves reporter before she moved on to bigger and better things?
0: You know, I think that's a pretty good parallel. And one one really f- important thing to remember, I mean, first off, Kelsey was great. And, and you're right. She was very positive and bubbly and happy. And she, because of that, you know, even when she would just go and do, like, an interview in the third inning in the dugout or whatever, then, you know, it was always meant to be Happy positive stuff, and she would she would interview what what was it that they did It was like a, a week of giving or or something like that where she would uh, the team would bring people out to the stadium she would go and sit down with them and interview them about their cause and so she was associated with a lot of feel good stories and then like for post game interviews, you think back to that game against the Phillies back in June where bmac hit that walk off and she got to interview him when the crowd was still going nuts and he got doused with the Powerade. And so we remember that BMAC was doing this, but she was there for that. And when Brandon Phillips had the walk off on father's day back in 2017, I think it was. And, and she was standing in the way when Phillips got doused by the Powerade by Matt Kemp. And she's always been there for like these big, happy, positive moments. And when, I think it was 2018 when she was in the camera well and she got hit in the eye, then that was something where it's like, okay, this isn't about baseball anymore. This is about people. And that's where it goes to being like, we start to care about these people. You know what I mean? So you're genuinely concerned for her health and for her recovery. So it's not just like a, some standard sideline reporter wound up getting excused from her job. And, and that's too bad, but you're right. She's, she's mega talented and she's got her hand in a lot of different cookie jars so she is going to rebound but it does seem kind of weird there's something about the timing and there's something about the wording of this whole thing where it's like i don't know the story you don't know the st- and there's there's three sides to every story you know what what he said what she said and then the truth so i don't know this is kind of bizarre and i think it was even just a couple days ago she was doing um, benefit work down at the, uh, down at the Roxy. So who knows? I mean, th- this story will probably grow legs and learn how to walk before we get the chance to talk about it again, but wish her the best of luck. She's going to land somewhere. No doubt about it.
2: Absolutely. And, and we're not going to speculate what any reasoning might've been. That stuff will come out eventually. It doesn't do anybody any good right now to speculate wildly on, on stuff that you don't really know anything about. Um, but it is kind of it does bring up a little bit of a question I have before we move off of this. Like, what do you want from a sideline reporter or an or a dugout reporter? Because one of the things that I liked about Kelsey that I've liked really probably more than anyone else the Braves have had wasn't wasn't the manner of questions that she doled out because love her to death. She's fantastic at her job. I I loved listening to Kelsey. Uh, she wasn't somebody that would go super in deep with the real quote unquote journalistic type of questions. But she's just somebody that you could kind of see the passion. You could see how much she just enjoyed the team and the game itself. And that for me, it's really all I was looking for. I wasn't looking for for you know somebody to interject too much about themselves, just to to give the players a little bit of a platform. And uh, you talk about them like to the mess with her a little bit in the dugout. I lo- I loved that. That's something that kind of shows the the team and how you know how much fun they're having playing baseball and, and how kind of upbeat and positive. So I enjoyed that. So I'm, I'm going to enjoy Kelsey wherever she goes. I watch a lot of the AC, ACC network anyway. You know, this isn't like, oh no, the, I, I can't watch the Braves anymore, but it is, it is kind of surprising. You're right about that, but it's not the only surprising thing to come out in the last couple of days regarding the Braves. Uh, Nick Marcakis, apparently he just reported to brave spring training. He was one of the last few stragglers to, to come in. Um, but he announced his interest with a bang when asked about the Houston Astros sign stealing Nick Marcakis went full heel mode, uh, shaved his beard, got the crazy eyes working, and uh, looking like the guy from uh, Split. If you guys remember that movie, <laughs> got a little bit of that vibe going on. Uh, but basically, saying that he believes all of the Astros players involved need to be beat, not like, not like beat them at the game, like take a baseball bat and annihilate them. Essentially, his his John Hart take just applied to the entire Astros team. Uh, I don't know. I'm not surprised that that's his take, but when you've got guys like Nick Marcakis and Mike Trout coming out and speaking, these are guys that don't talk. Nick is intentionally boring in all of his interviews because he doesn't like talking to media. He doesn't like going out and being public with things like that, but when guys like Trout, who's also notorious for not talking to media, uh, and guys like Marcakis, who are notorious about not giving the media anything to work with, when they come out with stuff like this, uh, it's about time that the rest of you who who still think that this isn't a big deal take notice because it very much is a big deal, especially to these players.
0: Well, and he didn't stop there too. He said that Rob Manfred should be ashamed of himself for the way that he handled everything. He went straight for the throat, and you know Nick Marcakis, In you know, it's weird to think that he's going to enter his sixth year with the Braves uh, coming up, but. He's carved out this niche as a weird cult hero. And you you start to notice this pattern of behavior, right? Back in 2017, it was after a game with the Mariners when Snit... This was right after AJ Minter came up. uh, Snit made a bullpen mistake. Imagine that. And it wound up costing the Braves the game. This is when the infamous moment where John Hart came into Snitker's office and blessed him out so hard that apparently the... The always happy-go-lucky snicker was very down on his luck and very morose. And Nick Marcakis marched into John Hart's office and told him that he was going to kick his ass. I mean, this was like the second in command on the team, right? He told him this. And then a couple years ago, Nick Marcakis' house got robbed and they stole a bunch of guns and money, which is like, sounds like he's dabbling in drug dealer business or they like busted a safe open or something. And so now he's trying to fight the commissioner. And I'm like... I think I figured out why Marquecas runs so slow in the outfield. It's because he's always got a knife in his boot. Or he's got like a katana on his back or something. Like this dude is out for blood all the time. If you can actually get the needle to move with him, he is a savage. So big respect for Marquecas for just standing up and being like not taking any nonsense. And, And you're right. Like he's when somebody who never speaks out. Is willing to go to these lengths, and you're right about Trout. He does not want to be in the spotlight whatsoever, and he's just another one who's really just super passionate about this. Cody Bellinger, Gary Sanchez. You're seeing all of these guys. This is a big shift. I mean, the players are really starting to revolt against this. So, you know, we don't have to to drill too much into into the Astros side of it, but I, because I, God knows we we've beat the point to death. But I mean, this is. Not done by a long shot, and I think, I think that Manfred's gonna have to do something. Man, he's he's gonna have to go back on that punishment and add something to it. I mean, th- either that or he's gonna wind up. His days are numbered. Like th- they're not gonna stand for this.
2: He's gonna have to. I put a little tweet out a week or two back talking about the interaction. Uh, what's gonna happen when a pitcher hits an Astro and then Manfred suspends him for twenty games? So you're gonna give you're gonna give that pitcher more of a punishment for throwing inside than you gave to guys that cheated and cheated the baseball out of a world series champion and an MVP and guys out of millions of dollars for three consecutive years. And you're going to give the guy that throws inside more of a punishment because you weren't man enough to do anything yourself. And he talks about how it was, you had to do it that way so that they could get immunity. Um, What could the players possibly have provided that, You needed immunity for it's not like you didn't Have a fan on Twitter who went by and marked Every time you heard a trash can sound and you Could actually hear it going if you already Knew that they were cheating and every team In baseball knew they were cheating and other Teams could tell you how they were cheating I don't understand why immunity was offered In the first place and you could talk about We talk about Manfred and we should because he's An idiot and he's not a Braves fan he doesn't deserve He's not a baseball fan and he doesn't deserve to be Commissioner but I don't think The MLB players union is getting enough Flack for this as well because they're they would have gone through or or talked about how they had to give immunity so that the players' union wouldn't go to battle for the Astros players despite the fact that 99% of the other members of the players' union want the Astros to be punished. The players' union is not off the hook on this either.
0: No doubt. This this whole thing is, you know, we're looking at next December is when the current collective bargaining agreement expires, and it was already going to be tough to pull something off. And now... Rob Manfred is a dead man walking because can you imagine like all of the different things that have started to bubble up? This is the big one. And going into this season, everybody's like, well, we don't know what ball we're going to have. It's hard to project players when you don't even know what ball you're looking at. You look at a guy like Ozzy Albies, who, you know, or er, pick anybody really who it's like, we can't be sure about what the power numbers are here because, you know, maybe the seams on the ball are tighter and it's going to fly like a golf ball instead or whatever. And, or maybe they overcorrect this year and you it winds up being like a really strong pitching year or something. Nobody knows what to expect. And you start looking at all of Manfred's things where he's just tinkering and trying to tweak things and doing all this different stuff. Like, there's going to come a point where this entire thing is going to wind up exploding. And I hope to God that there's not a work stoppage, because wouldn't that just be the most fitting end to Rob Manfred's tenure, is that he screwed with the game so much that there was a lockout of some kind? I mean, like I said last week, and I've said a, a number of times before, I've been pretty tolerant of the different things, but this is just like, dude, you're killing me. You're Every time you turn around, every single time I read any story about baseball, it's, well, Rob Manfred woke up, had a cup of coffee, and screwed baseball up again this morning. Like, great! This is we're going on six or eight months now.
2: I mean, it, it, it's honestly, it is incredible how bad he's gotten at at things like this. Which, quite frankly, it all you have to do to not be labeled a horrible commissioner is keep your mouth shut. And Manfred just can't help himself. He just continues to do this type of stuff. And I, I don't understand what his deal is. I don't understand the thought process that goes through his head. I mean, you and I are talking you you and I have both been pretty patient with a lot of these rule changes, uh, but the ones that he's been coming out this offseason, in addition to calling the World Series Trophy, the Commissioner's Trophy just a piece of metal uh, saying that the worst punishment the Astros players could have is the, blow, the, the blowback they're getting on social media uh, blaming the outrage over the quote-unquote this day and age of culture. Like how tone deaf could you be?
0: Yeah. Yeah, that was that was a weird one. So, it's uh god, I'm just I'm just ready for actual baseball to start and I know that seems like the most simple idea, but truthfully, it, the commissioner's like the vice president. If you ever hear his name, it's probably not for a good reason. Right.
2: It's it's never good to hear him or to say, "Hey, Rob Manfred spoke today." It's never good. Right.
0: Right. So, I think that, you know, this coming weekend, this is when spring training games start. And and no, they they are exhibitions and no they don't count. But but every every day that goes by we get a little bit closer to the regular season. At this point we're honestly only like five weeks away from opening day. And once we have something else to focus on, then I think that's gonna be really good. And I, I don't think anybody's more excited about opening day coming than Rob Manfred. <laughs> because it'll take the heat <laughs> off of him, maybe just ever just- so slightly.
2: Oh man, he just needs something to uh, to get people mad at something else. But speaking of baseball approaching, you and I had a lot of luck last year with our over-under segment. They're always a lot of fun. I always enjoy doing them, and it seems like the fans kind of enjoyed them as well. So we've got some over-unders here real quick before we get to the end of the segment that uh, I feel are some really, really good ones. Doc actually put all these together. I did not contribute at all this year. I believe I did most of them last year. This year, Doc did it. Um, so Doc, if you'd like to, I think that we should play over unders, and and you guys at home, let us know uh, your thoughts and feelings on them as well. So, Doc, without further ado, why don't you get us started?
0: Okay, and I would like to do one for prospects uh, coming up as well. This one is primarily for a major league roster, but uh, so we will we will come back and do one for prospects as well on a separate episode. We were just talking about Nick Markakis. Uh, a lot has been made about his role coming up this year, and the Braves have five relatively competent outfielders. Um, Nick Marcakis, 2020 season, over, under, 300 plate appearances.
2: I'm going to say over. Uh, I hope it's under, but I don't see a way that it ends up being under, because if you're talking about putting him in a platoon, there's some – I'm not convinced that he's not going to be in a platoon with Endurance Yarte, in which case Marcakis would get the lion's share of at-bats, or he could be in a platoon with – Adam Duvall or or what have you. I think Marquegas is going to be playing more times than he's not. I just hope that they curtail that number at about 130 to 135 games. Uh, If they do that, then you're probably looking at him getting anywhere between 400 to 425 at bats. So I'm going to say over. Against
0: my better judgment, I think I'm going to take that over as well. I mean, I think that because things are crowded and because, you know, Duvall's got the power, ender has got the defense and Marquegas has the hit tool. You know, so they all do bring something to the table. You can see a scenario where Markekis is going to start against a righty and then Ender will come in as a later inning defensive replacement, possibly just, just depending, because as far as defense goes for any of the outfielders that the Braves have, Markekis is the worst defender of the five. Not to say that he's inherently bad, but you're also looking at Acuna, Ender, Duvall. I mean, these are these are all gold glove level, and say what you will about gold gloves, you know, they're not nothing. So, and Marcelo Zuna is not just the guy that climbed the wall to try and rob the home run. So, I think um I think if you can space out how often he's playing and because Marquez is 36, 30 this this is his 36 year I think, then, you know, He's going to need a little bit more rest than than Acuna will, right? So if you spread it out a little bit more, you can maybe preserve a little bit of the energy that's in the tank, and you feel a little more comfortable giving him 300 or more. So yeah, I'm going to take the over on that too. But we have, there's another outfielder that we have a couple of different ones to look at, and that is Ronald Acuna. You've probably heard of him. He was worth five and a half war last season, and I think it's time to up the ante here. Uh, Ronald Acuna in 2020, seven war, F war, over-under.
2: I'm going over. I'm going over. I think Ooh. that he hits eight this season because he's going to spend most of his time, unless Ender breaks uh, and and can't play defense or hit at all, Acuna's going to spend most of his time in right field where the defense is which was what dinged him a lot last year because he played a ton of time in center field. The defense in right field, he'll be a, a far above average fielder in right field. As a matter of fact, if you care about gold gloves, if he spends almost the entire season in right field, he'll win a gold glove. Um, it, it'll focus more on his offensive numbers than combining his defensive and his offensive numbers. So as long as Acuna is playing right field every day instead of playing center field for 130 games, I'm going to say over. I'm going to say he gets to eight.
0: Wow. That's um that's bold. I'm actually going to take the under. Uh, I think he'll get close. I think he'll be between six and seven. I think that for the exact reason why you're saying that uh, that he's going to get over seven, him being in right field. I think that the fact that he's the only other option in center. I think that that will ding him a little bit more. Now he's he's not a bad defender in center by any means, but he's much better in right. He's a much better he's much better suited to play in right field. Um, I think. It'll be close, but I think it's going to be under. But the next one I have on here is 40-40. Over, under.
2: I'm going to go under. I'm going to say over on the homers, under on the steals.
0: I'm going to do the exact same thing. I think that everybody's going to be anticipating that he's going to be trying to steal more often. And he's mega fast. and And just because you know he's going to steal doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get him. But when you're playing 19 games against the Phillies with Real Musso and 19 against Jorge Alfaro, those are good arms, you know. And
2: not just not just that, by the way. The other thing that you got to notice with Acuna is you got to figure. Last year he had kind of a weird spray of hits where he hit a ton of homers. He also hit a ton of singles, almost disproportionately so. I think that's going to even out a little bit this year. And obviously the more doubles he hits, he's not stealing third just because he can steal second. You don't steal third very often. This isn't Ricky Henderson. Um, now, unless he, unless he steals every time he walks, I just think he's going to have too many extra base hits to, to get to 40 steals.
0: That's a good point. He, he really took a step back on the doubles last year. It was pretty much primarily singles and home runs, so that, that's another really good point to make too. Speaking of outfielders, I promise we're going to get to some non-outfielders here in a second. Marcelo Zuna, 27 home runs over under.
2: Sound like a broken record, but I'm saying over. I think Ozuna's a good bet. As long as baseball keeps the the 2019 ball and they don't go back to the 2018 or, or for you uh, sleeping people, the 2019 postseason ball which is really just the 2018 baseball. Uh, I think as long as they're using 2019's regular season ball, Ozuna's sitting Anywhere from 34 to 37, health standing. Now, you do have to mention the health with Ozuna. I think he's a good bet to get to about 30 regardless. I think he's probably going to play at least 135, 140 games.
0: Yeah, if he, if he stays healthy, I mean, the shoulder's the biggest thing, but, I mean, there's always nagging injuries that, that come up ever so often. So if he stays healthy, I think the 27 will be, I don't want to say easy because it's never easy, but I think that that is an incredibly attainable number. So I'm going to take the over on that too. So let's move into the infield. Our, our favorite diminutive human being, Ozzy Albies, last year, for the first time in his entire career, got to a selecting percentage of 500, over, under 500 selecting Jeez.
2: percentage. Jeez, man, I do have to take the over again. I think uh Ozzy. if you take a look, Ozzy's hit the exact same amount of homers the last two seasons in a row. He's hit 24 in both 2018 and 2019. Um 2020, I think if you're going to say... Twenty-four to twenty-seven is a fair bet for him again, but Ozzy's a guy that hits a ton of doubles. His speed obviously helps his slugging percentage, and his ability to run the bases helps his slugging percentage. Uh, I'm going to say Ozzy's going to be right around five forty to five fifty on his slugging.
0: Wow, I mean, that, and that's a that's a big step. He was right around four fifty each uh, each of his first two years, and you, know, you we saw what he can do in April of 2018. I mean, his slugging percentage that month was like. Seven seventy or, or something, just completely ridiculous, and then he it uh, wound up overcorrecting and and kind of struggling for the rest of the season. So,
2: yeah, Aussie was five hundred slugging last season. Yeah,
0: like right on the nose. So, I made this. I put this question in here. I, I, I should have prepared this response better. It really is going to depend on the ball. It really is. I, I'm just in the abundance of caution. I'm going to take the under. But not because I think, not because I don't think that he's capable of doing it. I just, I think that he is probably better suited to, he's going to hit some home runs no matter what, but relying more so on doubles and triples and letting his legs do more of the work, um, you know, it'll cost you a a base or two, which which you know you compound over the course of an entire season, it's going to knock your slugging percentage down. But I, I think it'll be close. Much like I said about Acuna and seven more, I think it'll be close. But I'm going to take the under.
2: You know what? I'm going to change that. I'm going to go under as well. Now that I think about it a little bit more, five fifty is a huge number, man. Five hundred is a huge number. Yeah, that's a lot. I mean, yeah, I, I think I'm going to agree with you. I think I'm going to take my first under for the day. Okay, but. I do think that he could match last year's 500, but I think he's probably a little bit more likely to go j- just under it, unless, unless he gets a huge uptick in the ISO. I'll say that.
0: Yeah, and, and once again, this is where it comes back to the ball. It re- it's, and that's, uh, that's such a weird thing to even have to consider. Like Even a year ago, two years ago, we, you don't take that into consideration. You just assume the ball is going to be the same every time. But as we saw, that's not exactly the case. So that is going to be it for the position players. Now, we do have a couple pitchers to get to. By the way, I told you we weren't going to get to the rule change. We're at 32 minutes already.
2: I blame, I blame you for this.
0: You should. This is totally on me. So let's talk about somebody who is. It was absolutely one of your favorites. Max Freed, 10 strikeouts per nine innings.
2: Over. Uh, and I know this is just going to sound like me being a Max Freed homer, but if you've already heard any of the reports coming out of spring training, uh, talking about Max Freed adding that changeup. Like I told you, all he would and Doc and I pointed out, having Cole Hamels here was the first pitch Max should ask him about that changeup. Max Freed with a with a usable changeup to go along with his insane slider that he's now got a whole year under his belt, uh, and a cutter that he was playing with last year to kind of help his fastball, which has been the pitch that's been hit the hardest, to go along with the best one of the best curveballs in baseball. I think Max Freed is a bet, is a safe bet to go over 10. I don't think he's going to hit 11 or anything like that. But I think somewhere around like a 10.2, 10.3K per nine is very easily attainable as long as Max stays healthy. By the way, other thing we should point out with the juiced ball, quote-unquote, the lowered seams would theoretically, you would think, help Max stay away from the blisters.
0: That is a very good point as well. That That is going to be really crucial for him. The getting the new pitch in there because he was tinkering, you know, w- with the slider and the changeup and trying to really go to a four pitch mix. If he can pull that off, that y- let me tell you the question I almost put in here for over under was three first place Cy Young votes over under. If he can command okay. a four pitch mix, I'm taking the over on both of these.
2: Now, see, I'll, I'll say he'll go under on the Cy Young votes because it's going to be so hard to take any votes away from Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer.
0: Gotta have faith in your guy, man.
2: Just ride or die. <laughs> I think uh, I think people would say that I've got plenty of faith in Max Freed, but I'm not going to fault you for going over. Uh, I I think that's a good number. You did a good job with these.
0: Appreciate it. And you know what? I just realized is that every single one of the pitchers is left handed. So let's go ahead and get to the next one. Rotation battle. Every you know, everybody knows about Cole Hamels and his shoulder now, and there was already a competition for an open spot. Sean Newcomb looks like he might have the inside track at least to start the season. So. Eight starts for Sean Newcomb over under.
2: Sorry, Bill. Sorry, Jordy. Uh, I'm going to say under, and I think, I think this is more a crux of Sean Newcomb. I think, uh, I think that if the Braves weren't on a, according to Freddie, World Series or bust trajectory, then I think you could see Sean Newcomb get more starts. Uh, but there's not going to be a lot of patience left for him. There's not going to be a lot more of of like let him work through his struggles. Like if, if he has two starts in a row where he gets shelled, you could see him switched. I mean, if Cole Hamels misses any real length of time in the regular season, it's really, I think it's between Newcomb and Kyle Wright about who's going to actually have that fifth starter job. But then if Felix Hernandez and Sean Newcomb are pitching even somewhat similarly, Newcomb is better in the bullpen than Felix would be. In which case, Newcomb would, would go back to the bullpen, which doesn't have a ton of lefties. Uh, I'm going to say under, I think Newcomb will get a couple starts. I think he'll get, I think he'll probably get about four or five starts this season. Um, but I don't think he's going to be a mainstay in the rotation. And I don't think he'll be a starter for long.
0: Yeah. And eight starts, I mean, you're looking at, <clears throat> that's almost two months. And and there's the possibility of getting some pop-up starts or maybe, um, you know, just you get the Johnny Holstaff type game where Newcomb comes in and he pitches four innings and then everybody just kind of band-aid for the rest of the game. Yeah, I could see him getting a couple just to start, just to kind of keep afloat until Hamels comes back. Or, you know, maybe you know, maybe Felix starts the season in the rotation and then he's the one that winds up falling out of it. Or, or something like that. I mean he's he's only projected to make a million dollars this year. <clears throat> so if you wind up having to cut bait with him, it's it would be a shame but there are other arms waiting to step up. You mentioned Kyle Wright. There's also Bryce Wilson. There's still Tuki Toussaint. I've still got hope for you, Tuki. Man, this, this is going to be your year. Ian Anderson's coming, and the guy that we're going to talk about in a second is also breathing right down his neck, too. One thing's for sure. Nuke has a lot of pressure on him, and he re- he's he got to really step it up this year if he wants to have any future as a starter whether it's here or anywhere, he's gonna have to get in there and bulldog his way into just having that job. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take the under. I think there's just too much. I think there's too much competition. I think that he'll he'll make several starts, but I I wonder if he's gonna be able to, to sustain that. So once again, much like Max Fried, it's gonna depend on the changeup. So the guy that I alluded to, the another lefty I alluded to. Tucker Davidson. For anybody who doesn't know Tucker Davidson, you should. He is a gigantic lefty from Texas who is in, in uh, AAA right now, and he touched uh, 100 miles per hour in the offseason working with driveline. 20 innings.
2: I'm going to say over. Uh, and Tucker is a guy that if you're wondering about the, the prospects who have the highest chances of making the club out of spring training – Tucker Davidson is going to be among those. He's still a dark horse. Like he's still got about four people that he's got to jump to get the fifth spot, fifth spot in that rotation. But all the four guys in front of him are guys that have had their own warts and have had their own struggles. Kyle Wright obviously has the least amount of struggles documented uh, as opposed to Newcomb, Wilson and Tukey. Uh, and I think Kyle is the guy that the Braves want to grab that job. But Tucker Davidson, what he's been able to do the last two and a half years has really been Incredible. To go from being a 19th round pick and projected as nothing but a reliever is a guy that threw 92 when he got drafted by the Braves, so now he's touching 98 consistent and topping at 100 with the motion cap. Uh, Tucker Davidson's a guy that as a as a lefty, he's a big body, so you know he can eat innings. His his release is very easy, very smooth. He throws a lot of strikes. Uh, I don't know that he's necessarily a strikeout guy, but he's you know one of these guys that the Braves like that pitches to softer contact. Gives up a lot of ground balls, uh, but doesn't get belted in the air too much. He's got a good curveball. He's got a good changeup. His changeup, I think, is going to end up being his number one pitch. And he's got a heavy fastball to go with it. If you're asking me, my dark horse for the fifth spot, it's going to be Tucker Davidson. Now, even if Tucker does not win the rotation spot, I believe he'll make at least two starts this year. And I believe he'll be in the bullpen. I think Tucker's going to be on the major league roster if it's not opening day it'll be very quickly and i think that tucker's a pretty safe bet to beat 20 innings
0: i i think i think you're absolutely right he's going to make at least a couple starts in there just cuz you need an abundance of arms he's already on the 40 man you're not going to have to do any weird manipulation there like ian anderson is not on the 40 man correct
2: uh, I don't believe he is. I believe he's an NRI. If you're an NRI, you're not on the 40 man. And I don't believe Ian has to be on the 40 man until the end of this year.
0: Right, exactly. And t- they got taken in the same draft, but Tucker was a college guy. So that changes the the requirements for that. Because of the fact that we were just talking about Sean Newcomb, right? The only lockdown guy, that you, the only lefty that you know is going to be in there for sure is Will Smith. So either Newcomb winds up in the rotation and you wind up filling that other lefty role in the bullpen with like AJ Minter, Chris Rusin, uh, Grant Dayton could possibly could possibly fill that role. There's there's a couple of options that you have there. But if you are looking for a guy that's throwing a hundred from the left side, I mean that's a golden ticket to to get to the majors. So I think I'm going to take the over on this as well. And I think that you know I think he'll have a couple starts, but I think at least in 2020. I think that his role is going to wind up being primarily in the big league bullpen. Whether he transitions back into starter in 2021 remains to be seen, but if I'm looking now, I think that he's going to be a meaningful bullpen piece at some point during this year. It might not even be for the entire year, but there will be innings to be had. Speaking of lefties in the bullpen, Will Smith, when he initially signed, the common pervading thought was going to be that he was going to be the closer because why are you going to throw $13 million a year at somebody who's not your closer? Uh, But according to Snit and or Anthopolis, um, Mark Melanson still has that job. I don't know if I necessarily believe that. So Dylan, I ask you Will Smith for the final installment of the over under Will Smith, 20 saves over under.
2: I'm going to say under because it needs to be under. Because Will Smith needs to be utilized the way that Alex and Snit were both talking about earlier, where he can be the guy to come in and face the heart of the order, whether that be the sixth, seventh, or eighth inning, or the ninth inning if it comes up to it. I'm sure he'll get some saves, obviously if the matchup dictates it. uh, If the best part of their lineup is coming up in the ninth inning, I'm sure he'll be the guy out there. But he needs to be the Josh Hader type, uh, the guy that's that, or the the uninjured uh, was it Andrew um, Andrew Miller type where. He's going out there, and he's going to mow down the the toughest parts of their lineup. Instead of having it be Luke Jackson or Shane Green have to navigate the toughest portion to get to Melanson, it doesn't really matter whether you get the twenty first, twenty or the twenty second, twenty third, and twenty fourth, or you get the twenty fifth, twenty sixth, and twenty seventh holds and saves should be viewed in the same light. And I think Will Smith for the Braves to be what they need to be this year. Will Smith needs to be free to be that movable chess piece and not be stuck in the eighth inning in a playoff series a la Craig Kimbrell. So I'm going to say under just because it needs to be under, and I think this is something Alex might have spoken to Brian Snicker about.
0: I think the team is really set up well with the fact that you've got Melanson, Smith, and Shane Green, and Luke Jackson who all have some level of closing experience as night and day from what it was last year. I think that when you're looking at those four guys, it makes it much more palatable to interchange the pieces. I think that between the four of them, you could probably look at, you know, 40, 50 saves, but how they're distributed, I'm not really sure. So if if SNIT wants to play matchups and he's comfortable doing so, then you know, saves are a vanity thing. They're like pitcher wins, they're like RBI, they're situational dependent, and they're nice to have, but you know the the entire goal is to win, regardless of of how you pad your stat line. So I'm going to take the under two, but I will be curious to see if you know because you and I were both super bullish on the Melanson acquisition last year, and he had some horrible luck last year. His underlying stats once he came to Atlanta were great, um, but he just he was part of the um, that one week where the bullpen just kept having horrible luck after horrible luck after horrible luck after. Uh, Green and Chris Martin came over, so I think I think I'm going to take the under, but not because not for ineffectiveness or anything, just because I think that you're better positioned to have to respond to having moving parts. How about that?
2: Hey, whatever the case, as long as it works out for the bridge the way you and I are hoping, then I'm fine with it.
0: Well, we have made it to the end of the segment, except for you. Got to tell me about your rule change.
2: Okay, so, fair warning for all of you out there, before you guys get mad at me or anything, this is not something that Doc and I have discussed. Doc, you can tell them I have not told you anything. Matter of fact, Doc tried to get me to spill the beans in the pre-show, and what did I tell you?
0: Not a chance. We're doing it live.
2: Okay, so, this is just something that really, quite honestly, it just kind of popped into my head, like, two hours before we started recording, but, uh... I think now everybody baseball has been trying to make a lot of different rules here. talking about like the three batter minimum, uh, being able not having to throw pitches for an intentional walk, uh, all sorts of things. And they've been mostly geared towards, you know, speeding up the game clock in whatever way possible. Uh, talking about adding the DH into the national league is more about parity, parity between the leagues. Players want it, yada, yada, yada. Uh, but this is one that I've had rolling around the old noggin. So doc, you can tell me your thoughts on it first. And then you guys can tell me, um, Doc, how would you feel about Major League Baseball instituting a rule where teams can cancel one intentional walk? So say you're in the bottom of the sixth inning and Dansby's up at the plate. Dansby's batting eighth, and he's he's up at the plate with runners on second and third, one out. Or second and third, two outs, whatever. Uh, and the pitcher goes to intentionally walk Dansby. But Snicker can pull one a game out of his hat and say, no, we're gonna cancel that intentional walk. You have to pitch to him. Hmm. One a game. What?
0: Oh man. See, this is why I wanted you, wanted you to tell me what it was. Uh that's really interesting. I I kinda like it. I it's like a it's not necessarily like a challenge,
2: but No, it's a counter, essentially. Sure, it's a counter.
0: Sure. Um I mean, I'd be okay with it. I wonder, there would be some strategy involved as far as uh, knowing when you want to wait for it. But then again, I think I think that would be one of those rules. I think the intentional walk is, uh, it's dying a little bit, you know what I mean? So you could still, here's the thing. If you're the opposing manager and, and Snit says, no, nope, you got to face him, then you could still in theory, you could do it the old school way where you just do four pitch outs in a row. You, you could still, you know, and this is where the,
2: the no, 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 no. Because if a catcher holds his arm out, then that's an intentional walk.
0: Or I mean, even even if you're not doing like the, the stand and have your arm out, you could just hit him with you know a couple outside fastballs or whatever. Just sure. to, there are ways to do the intentional walk without actually giving the intentional walk. So as long as there is a some type of preventive measure to where it's not. Okay, well, I'm just going to walk him anyway. Then, then yeah, I, yeah, that's interesting. That's funky. Yeah, that's kind of funky.
2: I mean, I, I'd be down for it. I think it'd be kind of cool for the people that say you're going to lose strategy with the DH. Well, here you go. Here's some strategy. Managers got to figure out when the best time to use this would be. They also have to consider what you're just bringing up, that you could just pitch around him, but that does also leave open that you could make a mistake pitch.
0: That's true. And, and it does kind of up the intrigue where it's like, ooh, look, he, you know, <laughs> they were trying to get around doing puts, this. And, you know, maybe
2: it puts a little more pressure on that particular at bat.
0: Right. And it swings the momentum where it's like, OK, we're trying to walk this guy so we don't have to face him. And then the pitcher strikes him out anyway. And then, you know, that fires up the dugout and, and whatever. So maybe, maybe hmm, write a letter. I would recommend writing a letter. Manfred's got a lot of mail. He'll get to it in about seven off seasons.
2: Who's going to be the commissioner after Manfred? That's who I want to send this letter to. Nick Marcakis. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, speaking of Rob Manfred, uh, and speaking of this offseason as a whole, uh, just like him, we know when to shut up, so we're going to go ahead and take our first break here. Do we, though? Uh <laughs> Kind of, sort of. We're going to take our first break. When we come back, we're going to be joined by uh, a colleague of mine from the Locked On Network, Jeff Ellis from the Locked On Indians. Make sure you stay tuned the break. We'll get through the AL Central segment coming up next right here on the Platinum Sombrero. Hey, Locked On Braves listeners and the Platinum Sombrero listeners, welcome to the second segment of TPS, or as you'll note, the Friday episode of Locked On Braves, Dylan Short, Doc Herbert, joined by my fellow Locked On Podcast Network compatriot, Jeff Ellis, host of the Locked On Indians, as well as the man in charge of the 24-7 website, Jeff, what's going on, man?
1: Doing a well, while, yeah. If, uh, if anyone wants to go, I'll give a quick plug over to Scouting Baseball. It's nice and easy to find uh, basically uh, drafting prospect stuff there. So, yeah, Indians, draft, prospects, uh, it's, thank you for having me on. I'm looking forward to talking about the Indians today. Though.
0: You know, Jeff, we've been going back and forth talking about draft for it seems like a couple of years now, but this is the first time we've ever actually spoken to each other. So this is kind of a watershed moment. This is a big deal.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's always nice to finally get a chance to you know voices to twitter pictures
0: <laughs> right are you surprised that i uh i don't sound just like Marcelo zuna which is my which is my current picture
1: uh yeah i mean i was kind of expecting you know just a very deep bass voice now i don't even know if that's exactly what azuna sounds like but the picture <laughs> just made me think deep bass voice
0: <laughs> fair enough he and i look exactly alike we just don't sound alike
1: yeah he's, he's even got the yellow
2: stripe in his beard and everything
1: I mean, who, yellow shirt and beard is a solid look. I think we'd all agree with that, right? Everyone can pull that one off.
2: I mean, it seems to be kitsch nowadays. Uh, but you did mention the Indians, and it has been a very, let's just say, a very weird off-season for the Indians. Um, first off, we do have to get out of the way. Obviously, the biggest news to start off, really to start off the real whole offseason in general, was that Indians deal for uh, dealing Corey Kluber for essentially nothing. Uh, I gotta ask you, man. As an Indians fan, as the host of the Locked On Indians, what was the vibe in the city like when when the package came out that that was it? That was the package for
1: Corey Kluber. Well, you know, I find the Kluber thing it's it's really interesting from a few levels. One, like so many people got so mad at, uh, so mad on Twitter about it, but like these same people were the ones who got mad when the Indians picked up his option. I was like, well, at least they got something, you know, that's better than if they had just not picked up his option and got nothing for him. And then he ran into the issue. It's like Corey Kluber is probably one of the top 20 Indians in, you know, history, like just the performance, what he's meant to that team, uh, how good he has been. But you also have to then look at his age, look at the fact he had multiple injuries last year, which essentially made it. So he didn't pitch hardly at all. And that, his last full season, we had the declining velocity. So I think on a, a real level, if, if people were willing to be rational, which, you know, sometimes they're not, um, Kluber was, you weren't going to get the value you would for him even one off season ago. Um, the question was, do you try to roll him out? And if you pitch as well, you know, his value jumps. But the Indians have been really good at evaluating their pitching talent. So for me, I was... I I put faith in that ability. They haven't really had anyone that's uh, overstayed their welcome, or anyone who they've let go in a situation they've really blown up in terms of pitching in a few years. So yeah, I mean, I I don't necessarily get the Shields edition. Yeah, he can play defense and he can run, but essentially, he needs his own designated hitter. Uh, Class A is interesting, but all reports that the Indians love him—that you know—they valued him extremely high so while he isn't quite you know the name uh you know i you know sarah had an article a few maybe two weeks ago where it's like you know the using a few metrics and measures like the filthiest uh stuff for bullpen pitchers and one was james karen and two was class a so the indians could be building a, a really interesting back end there it's, it's not ideal and it's certainly not what you'd expect uh but i, I wanted to make the when I wrote up about Mookie Betts, I wanted to make the case that, uh, essentially in the original form of that trade that, uh, I'm going to butcher his name because pronunciation, not my strong suits, but that, uh, Gret, Gret that the Brood star is essentially the same picture as class A. They're the same age, same size, uh, class A is lighter, but they're just fastball slider guys. Uh, they electric fastball slider, but they're kind of very similar, likely pen bound for, for Gret uh, grit you guys know what I'm talking about as well. Um, so I want to make the case that at the cost of my is really team on the contract that he presented more value than Kluber, um, because it's, you know, it's still like 18 million this year and then even higher next year. Uh, and that next year becomes guaranteed post-trade. So I thought there were some interesting comparisons to be made. Um, like I said, again, that all requires logic and when have had an off season, like they've had, where it's been a crappy off season, yeah. um, to keep it clean uh, a deal like that just gets expanded and some of the other frustrations get filtered into it but I, I at the end of the day I mean the whole feeling was there's more there's got to be more right there's we're going to get like mixed to because at that time we um, hadn't signed Hernandez you know we could still use someone to play in the outfield anyways uh, at that point as well so it's like we're you know is there someone else we're getting is there something we don't know and I was like no that's that's it
2: I will fight you to the death over calling Bruce Dar a reliever for sure. I am in the camp that I, I am fully on board the Bruce uh, the Bruce Dar train. Uh, I think, for one thing, I I think that the report that oh his shoulders jacked up uh, that was complete horse crap. I do believe that it was brought on by the owner of the Red Sox because the Red Sox uh, fans kind of freaked out instead of realizing just how high of a prospect you were getting in roll for for a Mookie. Um but I, I love clause I'm not gonna argue with you about Emmanuel clause I just I just think calling Bruce a reliever automatically is is just going more by his release and by his actual pitching release than his than anything that's been shown. You can't tell me that a dude For short me 10. he's thrown a hundred and one shoulder slide. Um, no I, I get all that but the the
1: history of um Pitchers who uh, don't control their weight well is not strong.
2: Oh, no, I'm and, fully you know, with he you on that. He,
1: it's, it's more his build and um, how he's kept adding weight, and weight can be good, but in his case, it hasn't been good. Um, and when I go through the history of such guys, uh, you know, Bartolo Colon is probably like the patron saint, but he didn't get to be like Big Bartolo until he was almost like in his 30s. He was always kind of more of a spell guy, Those, those bigger arms are just – it's, it's not even release point. It's not so much the third pitch. I just go, I don't know if he's going to keep himself in the shape to keep that stuff going.
0: I mean, we saw it in Atlanta with, uh, with Luis Gajara the past couple of years. It was the biggest knock on him. And, you know, you look at guys like Bartolo, guys like CC Sabathia, and they are more so the exception than the rule. And it seems weird with, with a guy – um, with a guy like Corey Kluber, to to look at him and say that he's somewhat expendable, but when you start looking around at the Indians' rotation, they still have Shane Bieber, who really kind of had his coming out party last year, Mike Clevenger, even though he's hurt right now, and Carlos Carrasco, who is who is back from his cancer diagnosis, which is just the most wonderful thing. So the Indians do still have some pitching, but when you're looking when you're looking at this team, do you see a team that's complete you know because just from the outside looking in you know you're looking at a division that is very top heavy the twins obviously were ridiculous last year the the white socks are kind of coming on the indians are in kind of a weird spot so you know a lot more about this than i do do you think that the indians are going to be able to make some noise the way they are currently constructed right now
1: Yeah, you know, before i turn to that and i'll say also just to throw it in it's um I don't think the Tigers are necessarily gonna contend, but they spent a lot this offseason. Like they kind of under the radar added upgraded their team significantly. Um, you know, they they worked the margins, but they, I thought they worked the margins pretty well for a team when you look at record it was obviously awful. And as an Indians person, I think one of the biggest things is like I have to pull up i, I I'm not just sure the Tigers beat the Indians once last year. Um the Indians got really fat on that Tigers team, and that's the only reason it was as close as it was. Um, I think the Indians are definitely a flawed team. I'm I, I'm not so worried about the starting pitching because, I mean, I do have some worries because when you look at it, um, guys who are going to be kind of like Plutko, Plisak, and Aaron Saval all pitched better than I ever thought any of them had a right to. Like, and I was a high man on Dak Plisak since he was a two-way player at Ball State. Like, this is the guy I, I go deep with. You can find the tweets when the Indians took him in the 11th round where I was tweeting about, you know, Having observed and seen him, now I love the pick. Um, but even I didn't think he'd play how he played last year. And it is funny Zach Kiesack and Dakota Hudson to go compare some of those numbers, like um, not inter- like you know things like FIP or hard hit, and some of those advanced things are very similar guys. Uh, so you know it, that's just one of my my points this last season I made a few times. But the Indians do have the advantage where it's like after them, it's still. Logan Allen, who they got as the secondary piece in the uh, the Trevor Bauer deal, Tristan McKenzie, who didn't pitch last year but has been a top prospect for a while, Sam Hentis, who is a six foot eleven lefty who can hit like ninety six, ninety seven, Kyle Dowdy, who they lost in the Rule Five a year ago, who's been up to ninety nine in Double A as a starter, so they have this weird um, depth where, and again, I think with Kluber, it's just I don't think he's going to be. I don't want to say a shell of his former self, but I think he's going to be, you know, 80% of what he was two years ago. And I think that's the move there. I'm not as worried with the pitching staff just because they have waves upon waves, and that is really the one thing they can do well. I do think, you know, Plesek, Pletko, and Saval are all going to take step back, a step back, if not more. Uh, the pen, I think, is going to run into form now that some of those young guys are being up there. And some of they, they have some good prospects, actually, in terms of bullpen guys and the upper minors. But uh, they have no depth at all is their problem. Uh, Roberto Perez, I never talked about Clavanger's knee, but Roberto Perez's heel surgery is probably, to me, the bigger story. Uh, I harped way too much on the podcast about the fact that the Indians are cutting money everywhere and then went out and traded for it, and then gave Sandy Leone a... You yeah, know, almost two million dollars. I'm like, who is going? Who else is going to give that guy two million dollars? Um, and after him and the miners, they have nothing. The only other catcher on their 40 man air uh, they took off this offseason and then sold to the Tigers, so they have no catching depth at all. Um, you go up the middle, it's guys like Yu Chen Cheng, who I like, but is a utility guy, or Christian Arroyo, who's a failed prospect at this point. Uh, if there's any injury to any of those guys. Uh, there's there's not much depth there. And then the outfield is just... You know, Jordan Luffalo is amazing hitting lefties, and I, one can make the strong case that the Indians, more than any other team, should be out there trying to get Jack Peterson, because Luffalo slash Peterson would be one of the best platoons in all of baseball possible. Uh, Mercado, really good defense, but uh, he's one of those, go check his month-to-month stats. Like, he was in a, a heck of... Like, he had two months where he was a pitcher-level hitter, and he's being projected as a top-of-the-lineup guy. Um, And, you know, Fran Mill Reyes in the outfield is going to be an adventure, I believe, in the bat, but the defense. uh, We did just send Domingo Santana recently, who I think is definitely an upgrade over Bobby Bradley or some of the Jake Bowers, some of those other in-house candidates. But uh, that means uh, between the two of those, it's the weird case where Fran Mel Reyes is definitely the better defender over another player.
2: I mean, the good th- the good news, I guess, if you want to go silver lining for the Indians is uh, you've got maybe the two biggest trade chips in all of baseball this season. Talking, of course, about Francisco Lindor and Mike Clevenger once he gets back healthy. What is the I guess I want to say what, what's the percentage that they actually get dealt? And is it is it a big fear in Cleveland that those two are, are going to end up gone? Or is there still some hope that one of those two or maybe both somehow find a way to stay in Cleveland?
1: I think the thought is Clevenger will stay. Um, you know, he's he's not afraid to speak his mind. I remember meeting him though in Double before during his breakout year. I used to live in Akron, um, so I spent a lot of time down there to watch baseball for free, sit in the press box, get you know get food as well. I mean, you know, where was there in that? So you get to meet a lot of those guys at that point in time, and it, it, that was when Clevenger was kind of fully healthy and back after the Indians had traded for him. And it, it was kind of one of my first eye openers because he talked about like when he was with Anaheim, they gave him like binders to look at and the Indians were all about biomechanics and correcting things and working on his, his approach and his delivery and everything. And while he, you know, there has some points where he seem frustrated with Cleveland. He is also because he debuted so lately, which I think a lot of people forget. He still has, a lot of the years of control left. I don't think he can become a free agent until his age 33 year. So if there's a player who's more likely to consider, the only downside to trying to lock him up at, at this point is next year, Hannah's arbitration. His cheap years are gone, which is really where you want to kind of go and buy out those years. Um, you know, like the race did so well with someone like Acuna, where they had those those cheap years and they bought those out. So you got a little more now so they could take money on the back end. The Indians don't have that advantage, I, I, but it's so many young arms after Clevenger. I think they'll keep him in place, um, just because you never know what Krask is going to be at this point or how fully. Because uh, while well, he came back last year, and it's amazing that you know, basically there he had cancer and was throwing 97 miles an hour, and you know, all reports everything's great and clean. You know, it it was almost partially a lost year for him. Um, The story is amazing. And uh, he is someone who loves Cleveland. He should be the most embraced Cleveland athlete because he's not signed two team-friendly deals because he does not want to go. When there's been any rumor that he could be traded, he has signed deals to stay. Uh, So all of Cleveland should, should love Carrasco more than maybe any other player in that city. But I think Lindor, especially if the Indians are struggling. It's, it's exactly like the Trevor Bauer situation a year ago. And Lindor can say all he wants to say about wanting to stay, but, you know, if, if you follow kind of the in-depth stuff with baseball, agents make their names off of big free agency. His agent has never had a big free agent. like this is, And I'm not saying it's all the agent's doing. Lindor has also been very smart. He has robust any approach the Indians had you know, after year one, year two, they were trying, and he has had no interest in extension. He wants to hit free agency. Maybe um, in an ideal world, where the Indians offer as much as any other team, they he would choose to stay here. But it's it's going to come down to money with him, and the Indians know they can't win that. So, I very much think you know you get into July, and it's a year and a half at that point, and they'll see what's out there. And if nothing else, we saw from the bets deal, like. People may not love the return for bets, but they got three good prospects. But more than that, the fifty million dollars in savings which is a huge. That that could be viewed as like the first part of that deal. Like that could be almost as valuable as for dugo and kind of the way things work. Uh, so it's it, there's more value there than kind of just pure baseball stuff. So I do think Lindor probably gets moved now. If they are first or close, then maybe not, but. um, I, I there's a lot of reasons to be like half in half out on the Indians this year,
2: and it's there's no doubt it's going to be a tough division. What with what the Twins have been able to do, let's shift focus a little bit to the frontrunners for the AL Central. Uh, the Minnesota Twins they didn't really look like they needed to add much to their lineup, but they go out and they add Josh Donaldson, much to the chagrin of a lot of Braves fans like us. Uh, just looking at that Minnesota team now, they have Kenta Maeda to go along with Jose Barrios and Jake Odorizzi, who has to be furious at his agent. How how are the twins looking this year in relation to the central? Is it going to be a runaway? Is, that, is it expected to be a runaway, or do you think that there might be some uh, some hidden pitfalls?
1: I I don't think it's going to be a runaway. And like I like I like Barrios. I mean, Maeda is a solid back end guy. Uh, two years ago, when I was discussing like, well, if the Indians traded Bauer to the Dodgers, I always included him as a second or third piece because of that cost controlled contract. But he's not, you know, more than – he's a solid pitcher at a good price. Oda Rizzi has been inconsistent for his career. I mean, for the one consistency is finishing inconsistency. So we'll see how this year goes. Uh, Pineda is going to miss for a few months because of uh, suspension. Uh, Rich Hill is – is he 39? Rizzi is 40. Yeah, I think he's 39. And he's not going to be back until July – Homer Bailey was really not good a year ago, and before that, Maeda deal he was set up to be the Twins' number three starter. Um, I appreciate their approach to, like, we're just going to find a bunch of arms and see if anyone works. But their pitching staff is willing to allow other teams to stay in the mix. And their bullpen, which was a weakness a year ago, they didn't really do anything to improve. And one could make the cases actually weaker now than then by trading Brutus R because... If he's with the Twins, he'd be in that pen uh, to start the year. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And with him gone, you know, Sergio Romo is, again, going to be a high-leverage guy for them. There's some, I think, and then you just look offensively. There are some pieces, much like when I talked with the Indians, where guys played at probably the 90th percentile outcome, where three of those arms are very likely. There's some guys on the Twins lineup who could come back. And, I mean, I don't know if I want to be the one to bet on it, but at some point, Father, time has to affect Nelson Cruz. Um, Never. has found the the youth. youth. Uh, At some point, it's going to happen. I don't know if it's next year. I don't know if it's in, like, 10 years if he's, like, Julio Franco Part 2. But um, I don't think it's quite the runaway for the Twins, as some people might project.
0: You were greatly underselling the impact of Matt Whistler, who was on his uh, fifth or sixth team in the last three years. I mean, I think with mean,
1: Padres prospects when he was big, did he go Padres? I feel like Mets and Reds in there.
0: We had a front row seat to Matt Whistler. He came over in the in the Craig Kimbrell deal that went down on Easter. It was like right before opening day back in 2015.
1: That was the, that was, was the, so started with the Padres then. Okay,
0: yeah, and wound up on the Reds, and I think he was with the. Mariners last year, and now he wound up with the Twins. So um, obviously, tongue-in-cheek here, the poor dude, is uh, he's pretty much your stereotypical quad-A player. But when you look at the Twins, it is all about the offense. You got, you got Donaldson in an offense that didn't even need to get much better. Like you said, Nelson Cruz, as long as he doesn't have to play defense, I think that he's probably set up for success. Uh, you got guys like Mitch Garver, who not that he was necessarily a marginal prospect, but he was never like a top 100 guy. He was never projected to do what he did last year. Um, you got Max Kepler in that lineup. You got Eddie Rosario. So I think that you're going to see a lot of um, football-type scores, a lot of 10-7, to 14-10 uh, type.
2: Hold the phone. Uh, I know you didn't just blow by Byron Buxton, who's finally going to break out this year.
0: You know, it's funny that you bring up Byron Buxton. He has been about to break out for six straight years now. If he can stay healthy, he's unbelievable. But he can't stay healthy, man. I would love it. I would love for Buxton to show up and and have an Andrew Jones leveled season on defense and steal seventy bags. But I mean, what's the what's the most played appearances Byron Buxton's ever had in a season?
2: Oh, I'd put that over under at three uh, about three fifty.
0: Right, and. When he's on the field, he's great. He just he just can't stay on the field. But with an offense like that, I mean, I don't want to say you don't need a guy like Buxton, but you can afford to have somebody like that not necessarily be in the mix because you have six different guys in the lineup. They're going to hit thirty bombs.
1: The other thing, like to throw some shade the Twins way, uh, is anyone else like found it a little bit? that, you know, last year Pineda suspended for PEDs. The year before, it's Jorge Polanco. I feel like there hasn't been a team that's had back-to-back years of players on the major league roster getting suspended for, like significant players on the major league roster getting suspended for PEDs. And I'm not going to imply anything about the Twins, but I I think it is just kind of interesting when you look at that occurring twice with one team. Um, It was just one of those things that uh, stood out in terms of when I saw Pineda's suspension uh, a year ago that I'm like, wait, this has happened with the Twins recently.
2: Isn't this Pineda's second time getting busted for PEDs? Didn't get busted for PEDs when he was a member of the Yankees, too?
1: I believe it was, yeah. He was you know, you know, part of that ill-fated... Um, oh, who was that catcher that everyone... Montero, right? That Jesus, that catcher everyone loved. Jesus Montero. Uh, Jesus Montero. Yeah. Yeah, I, and I think, I think, I think the last... When he came over, it was Montero for Pineda, and then he got hurt, and then used, tried to use PEDs come back quickly from injury. Yeah, it's uh, you know I, I always like to throw a little shade on the Twins when I can just because most Twins fans are great, but there are a few who are uh, I don't want to say aggressive, but uh, a bit aggressive in terms of their fan interest and dislike of uh, other teams.
2: Well, I mean, they still have Kent Herbeck, so I'll never forgive him for that. But I think that the, I do think that the last team that got two players suspended for PEDs like within the, within a season of each other, even in the same season, I think it was the Pirates. Uh, I wanna say what it was Starling Marte and I wanna say one of the pitchers. I know it was Starling Marte. I wanna say one team, of the That's 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 that's
1: its own kind of worms. <laughs> <I> just, <laughs> that's their own that's their own on so many levels. I'm gonna decline to talk about uh anything to do with pirates and pitching and just <laughs> Yeah back away slowly.
2: Yeah, so so we know how you feel about the twins. Uh, now, yeah. there is the other team in the AL Central uh, that a lot of people are, are finally starting to kind of get on board with is the Chicago White Sox. A lot of people predicting the White Sox to put forth a really good year this year as a lot of their young guys, who they've had a stud farm system ever since they decided to completely blow it up. Uh, but a lot of those young guys are finally starting to reach the majors. Juan Mancata really broke out last season. Eloy had a really, really good second half. Uh, Dylan Cease has been working on his fastball to try to get a little bit higher spin on it. But they've got a lot of players. Michael Kopech should be coming around, I would guess, probably around midseason. Reynaldo Lopez has a a little bit of time under his belt now. They added Dallas Keuchel. Yasmani Grandal. The White Sox appear to me like they're trying to be kind of where the Braves were a couple seasons ago, starting to add some veterans, starting to try to look to put some wins together to kind of break this culture so these young kids can get used to winning. Uh, How do you feel seeing them all the time? How do you feel about the Chicago White Sox this year? You know, when I, I
1: pulled this stat page, I think the first thing that jumped out at me is this might be the slowest team in all of baseball. When you look at their lineup between, you know, <laughs> Grandal, Abreu, Edwin Encarnacion, you Nilo know, Jimenez, and Nomar uh, Maseret, That uh yeah, this is, not a, you, this is not a team you have to worry about on the base paths in any way. Uh, you know, looking at the team, we all assume at some point seeing Nick Magical is going to take over second base. Uh this is the point in time where I can make my little claim that I like to do that for the past two years, I've successfully predicted the White Sox pick in September uh, with both Magical and Vaughn because their drafting is so by the book. Now um, Nick Costner has moved upstairs and all the White Sox fans are telling me like that, um, that Stengel, who's took over, I'm trying to think that he's more of a high school guy. But, you know, he did work on a team that has been the most college heavy drafting team. So we'll see. Everyone tells me I'm wrong. But I everyone told me I was, uh, that Zach Collins was definitely not going to be the pick that they were all in. And i trying to think if that was the Gavin Lux year. Because I remember that. The, the talk was they were all in on Gavin Lux. They are going to take Gavin Lux at, like, 11. And then they took the college guy. And uh, the Dodgers took Lux, you know, in the 20s and 30s. And that that's the one that I remember Distinctly standing out. That wasn't this Jake burger was it?
2: That wasn't Jake Berger, was it? It
1: could have been the burger year.
0: That actually, I think, is right. I think Collins was sixteen. burger was seventeen. Who? That's another. That's four straight years of going college bat for the first one. But I'll tell you what: if they had found a way to take Gavin Lux then right now their farm system would still be sitting pretty because they got Luis, either Luis Robert or Luis Robert, depending on whether you want to make him French or not. But, I mean, guys like Collins. You know, Collins came up last year, and he didn't really perform. You know, he hit under 200, but he was still taking his walks. He's been striking out too much ever since he was still catching at Miami. But he could he could take a step. He did, he did great in A. Robert or Robert depending. Number two prospect in all of baseball, depending on what you read. You think he's going to start in Double A, but he could wind up making his way there, too. I mean, I swear that the Braves and the White Sox, they went in their rebuild at the exact same time, but the White Sox rebuild has taken a little bit longer to marinate. And based on the fact that they might be able to... I mean, the Twins and the Indians are going to do the same thing, when they're going to just kind of beat up on the Royals and beat up on the Tigers. But I think they could finally get over that 500 hump this year. I think that them winning the division is probably a little bit far-fetched. They might need one more year. But, I mean, do you think that they're going to be able to make enough noise, or are they going to be able to finish in second place, say?
1: I mean, I'm I'm not uh, totally... Con- you could you could convince me of them even winning the division just because I'm... You know, I was always a Giolito believer, and he finally seemed to put together. And the White Sox have always they've kind of kept the same pitching people in place while managers have changed and GMs have changed. Um, you know, they've kept a lot of those same guys because they do a really good job of pitcher development and their team. And there was a point in time where it was just, everyone came to Chicago and learned a cutter. And, you know, that's how Esteban the wise turned into, uh, from a number four to an all-star pitcher. And there's a few other guys like that where they, you know, um, Tommy Kaline, who had bounced around before he, he got there, they've always been really good about finding a little bit more. Uh, they don't get the credit for it, like sometimes the Indians do, uh, and that's because developmentally it always hasn't been as clean with the White Sox, but they've always been really good in pitcher development. Chialito, I get again, I'm firmly behind. I think that last year is just step one in him becoming you know a top-end pitcher. Tykel is a solid mid-rotation guy. Uh, Gio Gonzalez showed some life at the Brewers, but the Brewers are another one of those teams. It seems to maximize and you know what Gio Gonzalez did, Drew Pomeran, a few of those other players who um, came for a short uh, stint with them. So that's see. Cease. I'm still not 100% sold on, but at the end of the day, when it comes to them, if they're even close, there's some trade pieces. I mean, someone would... Will, would probably overplay, overplay, overpay for James McCann just based on his season a year ago because there's no catching depth. I was talking about catchers the other day on the Lockdown Indians, and I was like, number four and number two. And number four is the number of catchers who would qualify for the batting dial a year ago. And two were players with a, a, a runs created over 100. And, you know, it's, it's Real Mudo and it's Grandal, and then there's a huge gap before you really can talk about uh, anyone else at this point and no matter what you know you view if the you know yes they would have been better off adding a, a pitcher but there's always kind of that value when you can get one of the top guys at a position that has very little to begin with they, they're just going to be so much better at catcher than so many other teams uh, both offensive and defensively they I mean you look at that lineup if Robert does break through and is what people expect. And if at some point magical uh, gets up there and takes over second base, you're looking at the weakest hitter in that lineup being, you know, no Marmo like that's going to be their worst hitter. And, you know, he's a league average guy. I think his most of his disappointment is because, I mean, if you were like me you thought this is one of the top 10 prospect in baseball and he was going to win a batting title, I was very wrong. Um, but if he is your worst hitter, that's, I and mean, that's a pretty fearsome lineup. So they, they've got, a lot of pieces in place. Um, I mean, Andrew, I wouldn't be surprised if Andrew Bond made it to the majors this year. I thought he was the, the profile is so clean I and mean, nothing else next year. He's going to be in that first base DH discussion. And then Michael Kopech is, uh, you know he's really, really good. And there's a world where when he is all the way back, he just ends up being a unbelievable bullpen weapon for that multi-inning guy down the stretch where he could, when we look at you know the way baseball is, or it could be an opener or something like that until he's fully ready. But there's ways you could deploy him, and his velocity and pitches is just, like I said, a weapon. And uh, I'm buying on the uh, on the White Sox at this point. I think they're, I think they will make this tough. I think those three teams at the top are all going to be competing down the stretch.
2: Well, there are two other teams in the division. Um, we're going to do this in closing. Really, we have n- really no need to talk about these two teams. Uh, if you're talking about the Tigers, the whole thing, the only thing that deserves actually really speaking about as far as prospect-wise is, do we see Matt Manning or Casey Mize this year? Uh, that's Basically, that's all I care about with the Tigers and Joey Wentz, who got invited to spring training. Uh, Joey Wentz, very near and, and dear uh, to my heart.
1: And Eric the lefty, they might have the best high-end pitching in the minors. Listen, I'm on uh, record multiple school. times.
2: I'm on record multiple times saying Joey Wentz was the one guy in the Braves system I did not want to lose, uh, that I loved his stuff. I loved his size, that he had so much he could grow into. So, for, for him to go in the deal for Shane Green, I kind of feel like that's the one deal where the Braves have been fleeced. Um, the original deal was going to be Demerit and Alex Jackson for Shane Green. And instead, I believe Washington kind of made a, an 11th hour call, and the Braves had to throw in Joey Wentz instead of Alex Jackson. And uh, I, for one, am still kind of sad about it because I I fully believe in Joey Wentz and I fully believe in Matt Manning. I'm not 100% on Casey Mize, believe it or not, but Matt Manning and Joey Wentz, I am 100% sold on. Uh,
1: Mize is a wire, wire, number one on my board. Uh, And then the guy they took the year before, Alex was started the year as number one on my board. Um, So I I, am all in on all of their pitchers. I think... I understand Manning being number one because it's the better pure stuff, but Mize is that guy where he's just used to being underrated, and it's he's he's a very different top end guy. It's it's all about the secondary more than the fastball, and yeah, I mean for me it's I, they have five guys in AA who all profiles are number three or up when you look at you know Wentz, Fajardo, uh, Mize, and Manning, and you can make a case that. Scoogle, Mize, and Manning could all profile as two or better. And Manning and Mize in particular could, all, could both end up being aces. Like, it's it's going to be really interesting to see because you got those five. And then just in the background, we've all forgotten about Michael Fulmer, who looked really good before the arm fell apart. So you see what he's left. And they went out and added pieces to get better this offseason. When you look at the Tigers, they they added TJ Kron, they added Mabin, uh, I always get it wrong because it's not shoot
0: scope
1: scope. That's it. Yes. I I always, I I can't for some reason get that right in my mind, but uh, you know, Matt Boyd uh, probably should have sold him a year ago. I'm not quite as big on him, but uh, Spencer Turnbull pitched really well a year ago. Kind of a forgotten guy. Like I I think I like Turnbull more than Boyd. Uh, Daniel Norris is another guy who overcame cancer and is pitching in the bigs. Like they, they've got some, it's, they're not going to win a lot of games. But they have a lot of intrigue. Like the Tigers are going to be really intriguing for me to watch. I'm very excited to see these call ups start to happen. Uh, so yeah, the Tigers are, are one of those teams for that. And the, I mean, the Royals could be the worst team in baseball. I think the only thing to talk about with the Royals is like, will they trade Solar or Merrifield? Like that's that's really the only discussion worth having. I think at this point, I the rest of that lineup is so bad. It's been a while since. Salvador Perez was healthy and successful, so he's not even that interesting of a trade asset until he proves something. I just, ooh, I mean, yeah, the Royals are bad, and I don't think I'm not as big of a fan of some of the pitching in system. So um, I'm not even super bright on their future because uh, it's just not quite as high for me as, as I was never a singer guy. So we'll uh, we'll see, but the, the Royals team could end up with the number one pick next year uh, very easily. I'll put it that way.
2: I think I actually think Lynch is the best of the three pitchers that they took. I think Lynch is the most likely to actually be a productive Agreed. major leaguer. I think Singer and Cower both have severe reliever questions surrounding them.
1: Um I I will say I really liked this Bolin, the, the the second rounder. You were the guy I was tracking and I was like shocked when he went and Kyle Isabella took the yes, fourth round who's an outfielder. That outfeeler. was what i was gonna say. There's I some love guys Kyle I liked in that class.
2: I love but. I love Kyle Isbell. Uh, I'm a big M J Melendez fan. If he can kind of up the oh yeah, if they can up the yeah, hit tool a little pick. bit, um, they, they've got some. Bobby Witt obviously is an absolute monster. Uh, if you look at uh, prospects live when they record the exit velos for prospects, Bobby Witt Jr. absolutely crushes the ball basically every time he touches it. Uh, that was probably the easiest draft pick ever. Uh, hate hate to be the Royals like here or the Orioles. I can either take Adley Rutschman who's a super monster or I can take this guy in my front office's son, who's also a super monster. Uh, so I, I do like Bobby Witt Jr. And I don't buy into the fact that he's going to have to move to third. I think his his instincts and his hands are perfectly fine for shortstop. Uh, but I agree, man. There, there's not a lot in that farm system. I'm always interested to see what happens to Nick Prado. Because... Coming out of high school, he had such a Joey Votto vibe to him as a guy that could handle the bat, as a guy that wasn't a bad defender. He was a little bit more athletic than most third, uh, most first basemen, but hadn't grown into the power profile. But since he's kind of been in their system, I don't know if their, develop team, if their development team kind of just sucks, but his hit tools never really developed either. So him, Sully Matias, guys like that who have big time, who were thought to have big time potential. I mean, Sully Matias, he's lucky if he hits 220 just because he hits, you know, Thirty bombs, but he, does, he can't really make contact outside of that. There, there's there's a few guys. Jorge Bonifacio was kind of that way. The Royals are in a bad spot, and until until they start to actually embrace new age metrics and analytics, I think they're going to continue to be kind of the laughing stock of Major League Baseball.
1: Yeah, it's it's just not pretty, and it's I and mean, they, they you can't argue with the results because they want to love Series, but they they you know, salted the earth with those miners to get there. So it's it's a long rebuild and then um, when all those players hit free agency, they not all of them signed it, uh, I think it's they were hoping. You know, I think they in a way they hope something like Gordon would have got a contract and they could have met it a bit more and some things like that. But it's I, I think it's you know it's gonna be a long, long rebuild in Kansas City. And I think as long as Dayton Moore is there, it is when you talk to people it is interesting how many people like, okay, I'm going to go talk to the Royals. I have to dumb down what I'm going to say. (laughs) It's, you know, the pitchers know, okay, this is, I don't want to talk about any advanced metrics if I have an interview with them. And you can even go back to when they were, you know, at peak, a lot of those, you know, Christian Cologne and the the first round didn't quite work out that, you know, the 2011 draft, which is the single greatest draft of my lifetime, uh, you can argue who was worse at it, the, the Royals with Starling or the Brewers with two in the teens. They didn't have nothing to show for. Or, you know, it, and when they were good, those picks in the 20s, they didn't hit. They just had a rough stretch where they built that team through first rounders, and then it seemed to, around the Kyle Zimmer pick, which wasn't their fault, it's just the Zimmer brothers are made of wet paper, I think. Uh, post that pick, it seemed that they could not hit on a first rounder.
2: Yeah, it's just one of those things, man, where those poor Royals, I, I I go back and forth. I don't really feel bad for them as much anymore because they're kind of doing it to themselves. I mean, literally every team, even the Marlins and even the Orioles have an analytics department now, and somehow the Royals can't figure out that, hey, this is what everybody's doing. Maybe I should do this too, but we've taken up enough of your time. Last thing in closing, if we were to ask you right now to uh, rank the division, how's it going to turn out standings-wise?
1: Uh... At this point, I think I, you know, I'll, I'll probably be pretty boring with this. Uh, I, I still going to lean towards the Twins just because they have depth and they do have some, you know, if they need pitching, Eddie Rosario I think is a prime trade asset for them uh, to go out and do something. I still believe in the Indians pitching, and you know, they have their top five can probably stand toe to toe with anyone's in the division. Um, when you get down to the Lindor, Ramirez, Clevenger, Bieber, um, and Carlos Santana white Sox next um and i i could i could see where we're honestly like the top three of the division make the playoffs uh it would be hard to do but with boston retreating a bit um you know likely the rays and the yankees will make it but it's not beyond the uh, realm of possibility just because kansas city is going to be god-awful and i think the tigers will be at it's, at some point, it's just going to turn all into young players and they're not going to even care about winning. It's going to be about getting eyes on some of those prospects and they're going to then. They have a lot of bets right now. And I think the hope is you do all these one-year bets and flip them at the deadline for something. And, you know, how teams like Toronto have been pretty consistent with doing little things like that. So at some point, the, the Tigers are going to probably punt the season and go completely the youth as well. So it's, uh, it's two two roadkill teams in that division, which are going to really push up the rest of the division's win totals. And we'll we'll see where it goes. But I think it's it's very clear that top three, just because still need the White Sox to have a more consistent rotation. And the Indians are one injury at one key position away from just really uh, falling apart. All
2: right. Well, I, I can't disagree with any of that there. Uh, if you guys want to hear more of Jeff Ellis, you can catch him. Every day, Monday through Friday, I'm assuming on the Locked On Indians podcast, one of my fellow brothers in the Locked On podcast network. Also, keep an eye on if you need if you have any questions about the MLB draft. Uh, Jeff is certainly one of the number one guys to go to. Uh, I'm still looking for a roundtable of Jeff, our good buddy Taylor Ward, uh, a friend of the program, Carlos Colazo, all kind of together riffing back and forth. I think that would be very fun. Jeff, I need you to uh, to get on that, okay?
1: Yeah, I mean those are two. I mean Taylor's a person, and I go go back a ways and Carlos has always been really awesome to us. So like the thing I will say is uh about the competition is they're just great dudes. So uh, That's my only my statement about the other people out there. Um, 99% of the people I've met in that draft community have been awesome. So I, I will say I would love to be part of a round table with all of that, them and, and more.
2: Doc, you got anything else? You know, if I can moderate
0: that round table, I would certainly be happy to do so. I'd be honored just to be uh, be in everybody's presence. But I, I think that for, I think I would probably line up the AL Central pretty much the exact same way. I mean, you, there's pretty clearly defined tiers in there. I mean, Twins, Twins, Indians, White Sox seems like a pretty safe bet. And then, I mean, gun to my head, I really don't know if I could choose between the Royals and the Tigers for who's going to be the worst team. So um, for as clear as it all seems, it all seems a little bit muddy too. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised, you were talking about you wouldn't be surprised to have the uh the top three, I'll make the playoffs. I wouldn't be surprised if the bottom two both lost a hundred, too. So this might be the most polarized. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. It should be a lot of fun. So, uh, everybody out there, make sure you're listening to Jeff Unlocked on, on Indians. If you have any other questions, you can always hit him up on Twitter. Uh, follow along everything he's doing because Jeff is a very, very smart man and uh, one of the pillars of the MLB draft community. You guys know if you've ever tried to follow a draft, how insane it is when you're dealing with like five, six hundred different players that you have to try to map out. Uh, But Jeff does one of the best jobs in the business. So all the listeners out there for the Locked On Braves guests, you should already be following Jeff to the TPS guests. You guys should be listening to Jeff as well. Make sure you follow along and we'll catch you guys next week here on Locked On Braves and the Platinum Sombrero. (laughs)